Tarek, welcome to Masters of Marketing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. What is Blooming Box? In a nutshell, Blooming Box is a gifting platform that focuses on delivering an exceptional experience of you wanting to send someone a gift. Right. And it's uh, an online platform. As of now. As of now. Yeah. Okay. Why did you start Blooming Box? Um, back in 2015, uh, through a common friend uh, between me and my uh, current partner, someone suggested the concept of getting into the flower business. And at that time, I had an agency. And, um, and I got intrigued to explore the market. And uh, while doing a bit of research, I realized that there's a gap, which was at that time, any online portal that was offering flowers or gifts of such was either delivering um, a product of high quality, but at quite an expensive price, or a product of not great quality, yet at not so much of an affordable price. Uh, putting that aside, what I realized uh, as well is that there's a, there was a neglect on the user experience in general. Mm. Um, I'd go, for example, on a website to order flowers to my mom. And, um, and the filtration process just didn't make sense to me. And uh, you'd find an I'm sorry bouquet, but also a bouquet that says congratulations, and they're the same bouquet. So uh, something, something didn't really didn't make sense. Right. And so we noticed that gap, and we wanted to, to create a, a, an experience for customers where it's an affordable luxury experience for them, something we take part of today, and um, basically a website that delivers an exceptional user experience, a simplified experience, let's say, with an exceptional line of products at an affordable rate. All right. And I know that today, Blooming Box is one of the fastest growing e-commerce platforms in the region. And it's one of the leading e-commerce platforms in the region. And it's only a few years old. Why or what makes Blooming Box, in your opinion, a successful brand? A lot of factors contribute to the role of success of a company. Uh, the way I always see it, or I've seen it, is that it, it breaks down into two, right? There's internal, and then there's an external contribution. Internal is when you look at the caliber of people you have, the structure you've set, the vision you have for the business, uh, the brand values you've set, and naturally the partnership, if that is applicable to your case. Externally, it's more or less how people perceive you as a brand. Um, there's always, you know, as part of me working in marketing for quite some time, we've always focused on delivering becoming the choice for the clients that we managed. Uh, and what does that mean? It basically means that if today I tell you, Basim, uh, think of a pizza place. Immediately, two to three options will pop to your mind. And usually those are one of choices, but the first one that came to mind is usually the choice. And the focus for Blooming Box is always to become the choice of gifting. And I believe today we've We've, we've been blessed with several factors, both internally and externally, starting off with having an amazing partner um, who've, you know, who so far has managed to guide uh, the business, uh, believe in the vision of the business, lead the team in the right form. And we've been also blessed with an amazing team members. Um, combine that with, we still are yet to figure out, but the love of people and the customers um, and it naturally goes down to offering the right products, the right services, and the right customer experience. We're very focused on customer experience. I know a lot of businesses are, and I know a lot of people say it, but at least 
I'm not too certain how others do it, but I know for a fact we're, we're trying our best to always be exceptional at customer experience, whether that means customers experience over the phone, over the website, uh, if, if there is any disputes, we really take it to a different level, uh, ensuring customers have an exceptional experience. So I think combining those two together delivers uh, a success. Naturally, success is linked also to profits. And uh, I could, I could, uh, I could simply say that today we've we've been a profitable business for the past three years. Right. How did you first start promoting your business? Well, when we first launched the business, it was only uh, Jaya, my partner, and I. And you know, when you're limited, we're a self-funded business. So when you're limited on funds, you got to be very creative on how do you promote the business. And I think that's a very healthy practice any startup should go through. Naturally, uh, uh, I've been through another startup that had funding from the beginning, and you tend to spend money left, right, up, and center. But when you're limited on funds, you become very creative. So I remember, like, initially, for example, I was delivering the orders. Um, anytime I'm delivering the orders, if you go to our Instagram page now, scroll down to the first video, you'll, you'll see, like, one of the videos was... Um, me and my florist at the time delivering a premium flower box um, to one of the customers. And we just took a video, like a very generic, uh, authentic video that I posted and I put $100 behind it on Instagram. And to my surprise, we got over 300 inquiries in the first three to four days. And from that, we converted 100 customers buying that product. And that's when I was like, okay, there's, there's definitely a lot of um, traction towards this product. So at that time, it was primarily social. Um, we didn't engage in, in, in any of the modern or typical, let's say, BTL or ATL uh, activities. I would say initially it was only uh, social media and WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Uh, yeah, like the first first post we ever launched was uh, on WhatsApp. I remember like the, the, we launched 7th, 7th of Feb 2018 sent a WhatsApp out to friends and family. We had a campaign for Valentine's at the time and it had a picture of our flower box and it said, this Valentine's Day, a blooming box is coming your way. So broadcast to WhatsApp, uh, you know, people you know, then they resent that to the people they know and we were sold out in seven days. So uh, <laughs> free marketing and uh, a success from that. Nice. And today, how do you promote your business? Oh, today we've taken it to a different level. I believe we've engaged in almost every um, every activity out there on terms of channels, whether that's ATL or BTL or, uh, like you say, TTL, is it? Through the line or mm-hmm. across the line? Through the line, yeah. And uh, so we, we, we go by the typical channels initially of BTL, which is primarily social media, uh, onto performance marketing on Google, um, emailer. On ATL, we've explored uh, PR, We've explored outdoor, we've explored radio, we've even explored the interactive displays and on-site activations. Basically everything. Almost everything. Almost. And a lot of, yeah, you said influencer market as well. Yeah, influencer marketing. I think, well. yeah, the brand is big on that. And what's the best marketing channel for your business? Oh, absolutely, Google. So remember, in marketing, there are two types. There's pull and push. Push is when you're posting something on social media, for someone to either have or not have a need at the moment. And if they see your content and they like it, then you remind them of someone's birthday coming up, they might or might not use you. And that's push marketing. On on the pull side of Google, 
someone has a need and they're looking for you. So if you deliver an exceptional experience, if you're listed right and you deliver the right user experience with the right product and the right price, it's a no-brainer. You convert them uh, quite easily. And so most of our traffic and most of our, um, I mean, paid traffic and conversions occur through Google. Right. And how do you measure your marketing return on investment? I think return on investment is a bit uh, is a bit tricky because sometimes you launch campaigns that have a long-term effect. And ultimately, everything leads to sales. But sometimes, for example, you launch a campaign because you want to raise awareness on a certain movement you're taking a part of. Or it could be also because you want to change the perception in people's head. Like when we first launched the business, we were perceived as a flower, as a flower company, which is not the case. Blooming Box is so much more. And so we've been heavily focused on creating various campaigns to change people's perception about Blooming Box by offering various products, by the way we shoot our videos, the way we, we produce our content, the communication channels, even the logo. Like initially it had a, a flower icon, which we dropped. Right. So ROI in general is amount spent versus amount earned. And luckily, because we're blessed with the right marketing arm or team, we're always able to measure what we spent versus what we achieved. And so far, it's been significantly successful. Right. And luckily for you being in e-commerce, unlike the traditional commerce shops, you would put some money on Google, you put some money on SEO and you're going to see it, how it's converting and you're going to definitely see the return easier than a lot of brands. Measurable. Now, right, it's measurable. Now, when you put money, like you said, long term, so when you put money on social media, creating the content and maybe boosting the content, this is part of brand marketing. So it's going to take you a while or you will never even know the return on investment. But being in e-commerce, it's a lot easier than, than other brands, that. that's for sure. <clears throat> Good. Do you work with agencies, with in-house staff, with freelancer? Uh, do you do a mix? Uh, what is working best for you, if you can shed, shed, shed some light there? Hala, given that I've had an agency in the past, I know the pros and cons of hiring an agency. And we've, we've tried all channels. We tried agencies, freelancers, and an in-house team. Um, today, we have an in-house team that runs, uh, that runs the marketing side of the business. And what has worked for us is an in-house team compared to an agency or a freelancer. But again, it doesn't doesn't mean that that's the way forward. It just means that's what worked for us. Right. And um, I know that you outsource to uh, the PR to a PR agency because they have uh, some experience that is maybe difficult to bring in-house from Correct. a PR's perspective. So you outsource that. And uh, you work with sometimes with freelancers. Yeah. So like, remember when you have, let's say for design, you're always going to be limited with one person designing, um, given the nature of creativity. So we're, we're often exposed to multiple desire, designers, for instance, for various reasons, and that gives you more exposure on possibilities of creativity. So in certain, in certain campaigns, on certain events, we collaborate with certain freelancers for either producing the content, creating the content, or even helping out with product development. How did you find these freelancers? Various channels. So we often go to websites like Behance and Upwork, and it's it's mostly as well recommendations, right? So it really it really depends on the purpose of why we're trying to hire a freelancer. But like for example, recently we've been dealing with uh, designers that design all over the world, from Mexico to France to Spain uh, to even Russia, to deliver an exceptional creative 
you know, approach for blooming box rather than the one that we're used to locally. And those we had to approach through Behance. Right. And uh, that's working well for you? So far. Right. Do you take part of your marketing budget and test new channels? Um, yes, at one point that was the motto. We were always about testing new things because there's definitely no right and wrong guide out there for what to do and what not to do on, on, on marketing in general. What works for you as a brand might not work for me as a brand and vice versa. And so we're always up for, like I said, like initially when I, when I promoted on Instagram, we definitely weren't expecting that kind of result. We've tried various channels. Uh, we're constantly up for trying um, new activities or techniques, if you want to call them. And we're happy to try them more than once to make sure that this is not for us or this is for us. Right. Makes sense. I know that you work with influencers. How is that working out for you? And how do you personally see the benefits or the drawbacks with working with influencers? It's a very interesting question. I think influencer marketing is tricky. Uh, at the beginning, when influencer marketing started to happen, I had a bit of an issue with some of the influencers charging too much for startups. Because as an influencer, if you know that's what they're called today, you're meant to be influencing and assisting the community in your own ways, right? Because you're influencing the community. And so there was a certain expectation at that stage to get them more to support us. And there were some that did. And I think with time, it's become much more clear that businesses today are, it's inevitable to deal with influencers. So you're, it's a must to have them, maybe not to all types of businesses and maybe not to all irrelevant influencers. So I think the only thing that I would say about influencers, the fact that it's tricky is I'd rather deal with a, a micro-influencer that has 20, 30,000 followers that are locally based as, as you know, people living in this country compared to someone who's a macro influencer with 2 million followers that are mostly outside the country. So it's all about relevance and it's also all about relevant content. You know, how many times have we seen comedians promoting a restaurant? But like, what do you know about restaurants as a comedian? Like, what would your input be valid towards giving a food critique of such towards a restaurant compared to an actual food critique? And so I think today we, we're definitely happy that we engage with influencers because the, the results are phenomenal. But the only thing I would say is we're very selective on how we choose them. Right. And you work with micro-influencers mostly? It's a combination of both. Right. But I would say more micro than macro. Not for any reason. It's just because they're more relevant to our current size of the business being in the UAE only. Got it. What are the top marketing trends you're seeing in this region? Um, I think trends have become, they keep on changing and it's a very fast paced industry at this stage. And one thing I've seen is that people are definitely moving away from written content compared to visual. Uh, I know it's been on for quite some time, but I'm seeing more of that. So it has become less is more. It has become more visual because remember Basim, you're exposed to an average of 10,000 ads a day. And back in 1970s, you were exposed to 500 ads a day. So the brand really needs to take the right measures and really go the extra mile to capture the user's attention. So you've, you've technically got a second 
as they're scrolling down their feed or going through their stories to really capture them. And so it is no longer about written content. It's more about the visual content that really, really attracts. So I've seen that as a trend. So, you know, companies residing to um, more visual content than written content. I've also seen the raise of TikTok and Instagram Reels. That has become the primary focus at the moment. Brands getting on TikTok has become a thing. You know, back in the days, TikTok was an entertaining uh, platform. Today, it has become a brand entertaining platform, which is very interesting. And I think it's it's pretty cool what brands are, are doing on TikTok. Absolutely. What are your top do's and don'ts in marketing? I'm a numbers guy. So I know this uh, might sound a bit weird, but I don't follow guts when it comes to marketing. Um... I'm pro looking at numbers. I'm pro looking at past behavior because past behavior is usually the best indicator to future behavior. And yes, of course, trends change. Like we said, behavior changes among uh, various audience members or let's say target groups. But the truth is past data doesn't lie in most cases. So I'm all about numbers. I'm all about taking decisions based on those numbers and based on metrics and based on research. So because, you know, it's a common saying you hear from marketeers that say, I got a feeling this is going to work. I have a good feeling about it. And that might apply in life to how you feel about your gut because it's mostly yeah, accurate, let's say. But when it comes to business, I'm, I'm pro numbers. I'm pro data, let's say. Maybe mm-hmm. numbers is a bit too, too detailed, but I'm pro data. Right. Such. Um, I'm not about following what is usually recommended unless you, you recommend something that makes sense. Right? Because... Like initially when you first launched the business, a lot of people would say, when you do the carousel ads, don't put the prices. And, and at that time, I was promoting with prices, and it was successful. The moment I pulled off the prices and I, you know, I kept the ads with the, without the prices, we realized that um, the ads were not working, were not performing. Because I'll tell you how I see it. I would always like to push content to customers that I would engage with if this brand was not mine. So I'm always putting myself in the customer's shoe. So if I'm on Facebook, for instance, and I'm running through carousel ads, I want to know the price before I click on the ad and waste a bit of time. And so I've always treated customers like how I'd like to be treated from a brand. Makes sense. How do you think Blue Box is contributing to the community? I think uh, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a tricky question because a lot of brands today engage in CSR campaigns or activities in general. And I think we spoke about this many times, right? The last thing you want to do is be a brand that does good to the community and talks about it. So it's, it's a thin line between, you know, brands that do the right things and get known for it and brands that do the right things and push themselves to get known for it. So the only thing I'm going to say is I'm, I'm born and raised in this country and I've always felt responsible for ensuring whatever I do in this country contributes back to the people um, and so our one, our one promise at Blooming Box is to always have the customers back no matter what. And a simple example to that would be like on Valentine's Day, for instance, flower prices are four times to five times the price. And which only means the cost to us is also almost four to five times the price. We never increase prices. Although it's a common practice and it's a fair practice and it's an understandable practice for, for you know, brands to do. 
we don't do it because we want to tell people, you know, you've got our back the whole year. We've got your back on those occasions. Mm. Interesting point. And you're right. Many businesses, they do uh, CSR campaigns just to get the benefit. So, the, so they speak about it and not genuinely to, to help others or to help a cause. So you like to stay away from it and you like to contribute in a different way, which really touches the heart of people and in, in this case, your or, customers. Or benefits them in a way, you know what I mean? Correct, and benefits them. And is it really true that uh, suppliers increase their prices by by that margin? Yeah. Right? Wow. I mean, it's, it's supply and demand. Yeah. The, the, the demand grows by... 20, 30 multiples on that day. Naturally, all around the world, that's the case. You know, Valentine's is an international celebration. And farms leverage as, you know, as a smart, uh, as smart businessmen, that's, that's the right way forward. And you have decided not to increase Blue Box prices on, on this occasion? No. Not this occasion, not any other occasion. Interesting. And the other players, like the competitors, have increased their prices? One thing about uh, competitors, Basim, is that we don't really monitor them. Uh, not because of anything. I'm pretty sure they're doing very well for themselves. Um, the only competition I've always seen for the business is us yesterday. So as long as we're growing, as long as we're better than how we were yesterday, then I know we're on the right track. Because everyone has a philosophy. Everyone has a vision. Everyone has... Um, their brand values and I believe we stand for something great I believe we focus a lot on keeping our customers and our employees happy and that's really what counts and so we don't know to be honest right. uh, how <laughs> they do things I'm pretty sure they're doing it however they feel is right right so what does blooming box stand for as a word as I don't a know name? like you're, you're talking about or what we stand values. for like, yeah, brand value. What does Blooming Box in your eyes stand for? Um, Blooming Box, I'm going to tell you a bit about the vision in a brief. The vision is that we want to revolutionize the gifting industry or elevate it for that instance. We feel like it's been neglected as an industry. And it's quite outdated. And there's a lot of room to develop so many products that deliver the right experience. Um, today, we've realized that, you know, Gifting has become very. Today we've realized that gifting has become a very convenient, rather than putting the right effort. You know, and and we've done a lot of studies with, maybe not a lot of studies, but we've done some studies with the younger generation, um, and we've realized that, like their best gifts that they've received, were not really tangible. They were either you know, a jacket, a jacket from their crush or a letter that they received from their crush. You know, like it's, we, we need to learn how to go back to the basics of gifting. It was never about how much you're spending. It was always about what you're giving. It's always about the principle of gifting. And so we've learned that we've, we've driven away from emotional gifting. We've moved more into convenient gifting where, you know, you've got someone's birthday, you send flowers. Don't get me wrong. That's amazing. And that will always be in demand. But our objective and our mission and our vision for the business is to re-guide the upcoming generation on how to gift um, and, and, and not be emotionless while gifting. And other things we stand for are things like every product we launch needs to have an aim. We don't do products because we feel like 
it's right or because customers are asking for it. We do products that we believe can revolutionize the experience for customers. So it needs to have an objective, a very clear aim, and we have a sexy product team working on those sexy products. Um, combine that with Did ensuring... Did you say you have a sexy product team? Well, <laughs> as a product team. <laughs> combine that with having... Uh, combine that with having a focus on ensuring that the environment is very sexy as well. Right? When I say sexy, I mean healthy. But ensuring that everyone's happy. Everyone feels like they're at their home. Because remember, Basim, you spend 70% of your time at work. Right. Right? And if you're uncomfortable there... <laughs> then, it's a, then it's a problem and we, so. we we really we really take that into consideration like we want people to be happy we want to all win so how would you achieve that because today like i look at blooming box and you have um flowers cakes plants and you have some bundles which is a cake and a flower and some balloons so what are, what do you have in mind like what would these gifts look like um there's a lot i'd like to you know share and express about (laughs) things that we're working on um i can give you a hint of certain things but unfortunately i can't give you the bigger picture at this stage (laughs) yet because we're not certain if we're going to proceed or not but it's more like how can you deliver an experience from one person to another where your five senses are passed on oh yeah so (laughs) we want because remember a touch from someone you like or a hug from someone you love compared to getting a flower box delivered by that person might, might vary from one person to another. So we're trying to combine uh, a couple of things together in one. Interesting. Yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Interesting. What is one thing you'd leave the audience with? There's a lot of benchmarks set out there to what's right and what's wrong, whether that's in marketing, whether that's in life. And combine that with the numerous amount of books, articles, podcasts, and so many other data platforms that deliver so many different advices on what is right and what is wrong. And at one point, I was exposed to a few of them, and I would be influenced by various, but then they're all contradicting. Like, do I follow this advice? Do I follow that advice? The one thing I would always say is set your own trend and set your own benchmark for what works for you. And I personally only take advice from people who have reached and have have done what I want to achieve. So if you've not done or you've not achieved what I want to achieve, it's going to be very difficult for me to take that advice. So my only advice is that if that person or that book or the author of the book or that article or the author of the article has delivered what you want to achieve, then it's worth looking into. Makes sense. And you know, it's interesting because I go through these phases as well in my life where I'd be like, you know what? I I don't need all this information anymore. Because you read, like you said, you you read something and you say, hey, this is the right way to do it. And then you read something else that tells you this is, especially now with social media, we live on social media a few hours a day and you're getting exposed to different opinions all the time. And sometimes you'd be like, okay, I'm going to switch off my social media. I'm not going to read any books. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to be exposed to news. But then the other phases of your life, you'd be like, I need it. I need something new to consume. So you open your social media and you consume a lot of things and you save a lot of posts and you share a lot of posts and you, you engage with a lot of posts. 
and you pick up quite some books and you start listening to podcasts and so forth. So your advice is to set your own benchmarks. If you read or consume something that touches your heart, test it out. Or is it something else? Um, <clears throat> I understood two things from you. Which so, I'm, so I'm trying to understand. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I want you to kind of rephrase it. Okay. So, I, I feel, I don't know if the, if the people would understand something else, but I felt like, don't necessarily consume because you're going to get a lot of opinions but at the same time consume and if you feel that there is something that you are attracted to grab it try it and see if it works for you 100 i think all i'm saying basim is that consume selectively yeah right knowledge is power only if mm. consumed and only if delivered mm. and i think a lot of people today have the knowledge They don't execute. So knowledge is power only if consumed. And so if you want to consume knowledge, just make sure you're consuming the knowledge. You be, yeah, do a bit of research. Don't just be, don't just go random. And because, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of quote pages or quotes pages on social media that deliver such, you know, motivational messages like, you know, uh, work while they party. Yeah. And grind while they sleep. Wake up at four in the morning and you know, uh, put and, 16 and, hours. And don't get me wrong, it might work for you. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're not doing that, you're not successful. It right. doesn't mean that. It just means it suits a certain type of people, a certain amount of people. And I think it's enough because we're always reminded on social media that we're not enough. Yeah, You're constantly reminded on social media that you need to build a bigger yeah, house, right. a bigger business, have a better life, mm. travel more. And don't get me wrong, it's always important to be ambitious if that is something you care about. It's always important to want more in life as long as you love what you have today. And I think there's a generation gap perhaps between the previous generation to our generation to the upcoming generation of feeling entitled to what they have today. But what we have is a blessing. You have more than enough to live, love, and laugh every single day while still wanting to more, you know, still wanting more and working towards that. Right. No harm. Because like we know, it's, it's commonly said, like <coughs> success is a, is a journey, not a destination. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I think me, I, I'm like, I'm 40 years old and I'm always ask myself the question, so what is it? How, how do you do it? How do you go about, like, I know that I, I aspire to be more. I want more all the time. I'm thinking, how can I become a better person spiritually, financially, mentally, physically, right? And I always consume and I always push myself. And I was working with my life coach and she's like, you don't need to put always a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. It's okay if you're eight. If you're, it's okay that you're seven. It's okay that you're six. This six might become eight or nine at some point, but you're already on so many levels in your life. You're already eight and nine and 10. So you don't need to be 10. Like don't push yourself all the time. Give yourself a pat on the, on the back, a tap on the back. Take breaks. 
Celebrate. Celebrate the small things. Not always like, I want, I want, I want, I want more, I want. And that leads to sickness, unhappiness. And like you said, social media, like, we, like if you open my social media, the algorithm is only showing me either funny stuff because it gives me that break or motivational stuff, nothing else. And the mo- all my stuff that I save is motivational stuff. And I was thinking about it the, the other day. It's like, man, like, okay, take a break. You're doing so much. And people see you from the outside, they'd be like, man, you're doing so much. But to you, because you're always exposed to these things that you can do, uh, ice bath every single morning, uh, put 16-hour days, don't take weekends off, don't take holidays. If you want to make it big, your, your egos fly alone. If, you're a success, if you want to be <clears throat> successful, you cannot have friends. And, like, and I'm 40, and like these things still play with your mind because you consume them all the time. Think of it this way. If you track back who wrote those codes, in most cases, it's not entrepreneurs. Because an entrepreneur understands the struggle, understands the challenges they're going to face, and that it's a lonely road. No matter how much you try to make it fun, it is, it can be, but it can get very lonely at certain times, and it can get very challenging at other times. And so when that happens, you kind of understand that life is not perfect, and it's okay. And you need to learn how to celebrate, like we said, the little moments. Because a lot of people keep on postponing the celebration. Like when we achieve that number, we're going to celebrate. Then they achieve that number, then they're next, onto the next thing. And onto the next thing. Like me and Jaya, the amount of times we said we need to celebrate after every successful campaign, <laughs> probably is above 10 times. Yeah. And did we ever celebrate? Not even once. So now we're learning that it's time to take a break and celebrate. Now we're learning that it's okay to slip as long as you're 80% doing it right yeah one other last thing to leave the audience with (laughs) (laughs) good to have you thank you for coming thank you for having me I wish you all the best thank you very much and Blooming Box is bloomingbox.com right yeah awesome thank you thank you and until next time until next time (laughs)